last year was actually a really strong year for us, especially <laughs> Q4. Uh-huh. Uh, Q1's been already super good. Uh, I think a lot of that is a combination of market function, of course, the external market, but uh, I think we're also getting really good having done this now for five years. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Scott Sambucci. He is the sales coach for B2B Tech Startups. He's an author, speaker, podcaster, and ultra marathoner. He was the first head of sales at Blend and has over 20 years experience in Silicon Valley with three B2B startups, a unicorn, an exit, and one still going. Scott, you ready to chase the top? Let's do it, man. All right. Which one's still going? Uh, Still going is Altos Research. Say that a little slower. Altos Research. Altos. Okay, very good. Yep. So you spun off, I guess, this new business. Now, is this new business coaching or is it also B2B SaaS play? Uh, it is a coaching company today. We actually think of ourselves more of a con- as a content media company. We happen to make money by coaching. Most of what we do is content production and distribution. Uh, people pay us for that content and uh, that help day today through coaching right now. And when did you get into this? What year did you launch? Uh, I started the business about 10 years ago, actually, all, all the way back when I was at Altos Research. I uh, started off just doing workshops I'd written a book uh, that led to workshops. I did a workshop at the Lean Startup Conference way back in like 2013. And that led to the next thing and the next thing and side gigs. And so I was running this as a side gig for about five years. And then in 2015, uh, stepped away from Blend and made this my full-time work. Interesting. Okay, so 2015 full-time. And at that point when you went on it full-time, like what had it done? I'm curious how big you grew it as your side focus. So in 2014, what was your total revenue? Do you remember? 2014 revenue of the business is probably like 50k just between workshops, side gigs, speaking, uh, those sorts of things. So I was also doing some teaching as an adjunct professor at an oh. international university. So it was just a way for me to kind of bridge the gap and pay the bills in that first year to step step away from the full time work to making this my my life's work. So what gave you that confidence? I mean, it was only doing 50k as a side. Maybe not only. I mean, that's actually an impressive side project. But it sounds like you were doing something in a full time business. What gave you the confidence yeah. to step away and jump in and bet on yourself? Uh, I don't know if it was, I think confidence was that I'd been, you know, three B2B startups and had successfully gotten them all from zero, basically zero revenue, the first couple of million. Um, I knew what I was doing in teaching workshops was working for clients. Uh, I knew that the clients we worked on the side was working. And it was also a personal decision in that my wife at the time was working on her PhD 
I had a two-year-old son at home. I was commuting three wow. hours or two and a half hours each way to San Francisco on the train to go work at Blend. And that was a good week because I was actually home. The, the bad weeks are when I had to travel to Dallas and Chicago and DC to do implementation. So uh, I was about 40 at the time. And it just got to the point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I think I've had enough of the startup fun and I wanted to be home. And this is an opportunity that I'd built as a foundation that I could jump into. I knew it was going to be hard that first year or two to kind of make the transition and, and make it self-sustaining. But I had I was pretty clear that I knew there was demand and that the niche I was focusing on was one that I could serve quite well. Did you at least get some equity in Blend? Yes. There you go. Okay. It makes quite, it quite so... A bit. As I say, um, so it's, it's tough. Yeah, we're business. doing fine because, uh, <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they just raised again on like a three point three billion. So, um, I mean, at the time, I didn't. I mean, of course, I didn't know for sure what that was going to mean. But yeah, I mean, we have, yeah, we have some shares. When you when you exited, did you already know you had that in your back pocket? Was the valuation track of Blend already clear that your stock was going to be worth something as a backup plan? It was pretty clear when I left. It was just as we we're raising a Series C. And we had uh, successfully implemented at about four or five large banks and lending partners. So the trajectory was there. Uh, there's, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done, but I mean, yeah. the reason I started, I joined Blend was because of the founding team there. I knew them. They were actually customers of mine when I was at Altos Research. So I knew them personally and they came out of Palantir. They knew their stuff. And I just knew like, if I, if I can help grow this, this team, uh, out of the earliest stage, I was employed 13. It was like 12 wow. engineers and me oh, wow. uh, doing business <laughs> development. So my, my feeling was like, if I can help them get off the ground and contribute at that capacity for a couple of years, um, then somebody else is probably going to take it from, you know, three to 10 million and somebody else from 10 to 30 and so on. Yep. So I was pretty confident going in that something was going to work out. And when I was leaving, you know, the rocket ship was really starting to take off. So 2015, you're now all in on the new business. It's sort of a blend of yep. coaching, plus maybe you've productized some of that. Just to be clear, is there real code behind what you're doing now, or are you, is that still to come? Still to come. The, co the code, our code base is the content that we have in our library that we use as part of our delivery of the coaching that we do. Yep. So who's we? What's the team look like today? Uh, so the core team, we have a head of operations, Amy. We have a head implementation coach named Matt, and he works with our clients more of a, as a project manager, giving them sales advice based on the frameworks we teach. And then we have a couple of coaches that we, that we bring in to teach in very specified areas. Um, so we have Jason Bay, who actually has his own company, Blissful Prospecting. He teaches on prospecting and outbound. We have Megan Mishak, who teaches on pipeline and deal conversion. Uh, so those are, that's kind of our core team as some admins as well. So how many people and, is that total full-time? Uh, full, well, full-time there's six, including me. Okay. We have two regular coaches that we bring in that are doing coaching calls every week with our clients. And then the, there's sort of a perimeter outside of that where we bring in additional experts based on topics that our clients are in need of. So we'll look at what the clients need, the client needs are. If it's something like sales forecasting and territory, then we have somebody who we know that knows that topic really well, and we'll have them come in and coach and teach. So yeah. one of the things that I learned early on in the business is that um, if you let ego drive the business, then it's going to stunt its growth, meaning that I can't know all the answers. Even just going to LinkedIn today, you can see so many good experts in different areas. And so one of the learnings we had after the first couple of years is realizing this is that transition from being just a coaching company and Scott, like the Scott show where I'm teaching everything. And instead thinking about, well, what are, a real job is it's, it's to solve the matching problem. It's a matching problem of founder has question needs to build a system. Who's the right 
where's the right place to get that answer? And so that transition that. has actually really helped us grow. I was gonna say, let's play that game real quick. We'll call it founder has sales question for Scott. Okay, so first question, you're making your first sales hire internal. It's an STR, it's your first quota carrying rep. Do you hire one to start or do you hire two so that you can compare the, the performance? Yeah, I mean, we usually recommend hiring two. When you're setting your quota for those first two sales hires, is it okay if it's only a three to one ratio of full on target earnings to quota or do you really wanna start at a five to one ratio? I don't know, I think the answer is depends. It depends on the situation. I had this conversation yesterday with a founder and the, the challenge that they had is like they're producing certain numbers and they think, well, if I get an SDR, will they be able to do the same production? Chances are probably not, not at least not initially, it's going to take some ramp time. So if you start setting quotas based on what you want versus what's possible, then you're going to get an SDR that's discouraged. So we, we actually think about comping quotas uh, as a more uh, fluid uh, conversation to have with your team, especially in that first year or two, you know, it's like, Hey, this is your comp program for now. These are your goals for now. We're going to use that information over the next three to six months to kind of bootstrap the next model that we're going to build for you. A lot of SaaS founders are just not sure if their go to motion should include quota carrying reps at all. And a lot of that's tied to price point and is there margin in the price point to pay out a commission? What's the minimum yeah. ACV that these B2B SaaS companies need to be selling at to that say, okay, yes, we can start to afford us to put touch on these sales and have a sales rep with quota. Yeah, I mean, we, we usually talk about 10k a year, like a thousand a month, kind of as a benchmark, because that's that's where you're you're going to have some multiple calls with at least a couple of decision makers in an organization. So there needs to be some real meat to the sales process. It's not just like go to a web page, click to sign up, because the middle one is the best plan type of thing. There's going to be some real decisions that need to be made. So and that also allows you to have a pipeline, manage that pipeline to get like a three to one pipeline coverage ratio. That allows you to kind of manage your conversion rates and then what does that what does that revenue. ratio mean the pipeline coverage ratio what's that mean oh it just means that uh the number of deals you have in your active pipeline relative to your conversion rate so let's say I'm, i have an acv of 10k and i've got 10 deals in the pipeline that's a hundred thousand dollars a pipeline if my conversion rate on the back end is 30 percent or 33 percent, that means i have i know that about a third of those are going to convert so i have a three to one pipeline coverage it's actually a big mistake a lot of founders make. They think they need a big pipeline, but their pipeline coverage or their conversion rate is really low. They're maybe only converting 10 or 12% of their total pipeline because they've done a really poor job of qualifying those, those deals, or they've just done a really poor job of actually converting them. So now they're trying to manage nine out of 10 deals that are actually never gonna convert. They just don't know which the nine out of the 10 are. So they have to actually work all 10 in order to get the one. And because their time is the biggest opportunity cost that they have, we actually think about, well, how do you actually get a slimmer, smaller pipeline? So it's like three to one or two and a half to one so that you're only focusing on those deals that are the right, the ones that have a higher chance of converting. And then you see this qualification. Oh yeah, it's a really common mistake. And I think even investors put gas in the fire because you're going into a, say an A round funding or even a B round. And what do the investors say? They look at your numbers, but they also say like, show me the big healthy pipeline. What they think is a, they think big means healthy, big actually can mean very unhealthy and the founders end up chasing that to go, oh we need a big pipeline and the reps say oh i'm just putting stuff in the pipeline we had a long conversation with this with andy paul on this um and so you end up actually mismanaging the activity that the rep should be doing who is andy paul uh he runs a podcast of his own and he's over at uh shit. sorry sorry i'm not allowed to curse 
Oh, you're good. You're good. That's okay. Uh, I'm just curious. I don't know who I don't know who that is, so I, I don't know if my audience will either. But you yeah. can tell us later. Um, okay, interesting. So general general lesson is there is focus on smaller pipeline and a higher conversion rate from pipeline to actual deal close. That's a mistake you see a lot of people fall into. Totally. Yeah. Interesting. What are some other things like that? Things that you know people are making mistakes on, but I maybe don't even know to ask about. Uh, most people don't know how to qualify leads or how to do proper discovery. And so I think that, again, this is where you get rushed into a vanity metric of things like, well, how many demos are we booking? How many, how many calls are we having? And demos are not always the best indicator. That's more of a vanity metric in your sales pipeline. So, you know, even on websites, it's like, hey, click here to request a demo. And founders say, well, somebody requested a demo, I have to give them a demo. And our perspective is, no, they actually have to earn the demo. They have to deserve the demo. How, like if you're gonna spend an hour somebody showing the product, how do we know they're the right person? Are they, is there urgency? Are they just clicking around? And so a lot of the work we do to help with that pipeline coverage is, is insert a really specific lead qualification customer discovery system so that you're filtering out the bad leads or the later leads earlier. So you can only, so that gives you the time to focus on the real deals that have a chance of converting in the next six to 12 months. I was on Clubhouse earlier. There was a European SaaS founder with 5 million bucks in ARR saying, I want to expand to the United States. And the way we're going to do that is to hire an outsourced SDR firm to help us mm. scale up this outsourced team so that we don't have fixed expense on our on our profit and loss statement yet. Yeah. Have you seen outsourced SDR teams work for this sort of thing, international expansion? Yeah, I think it can. I think it can if you have a baseline of success, if you know your ICP, if you know the messaging that tends to work pretty well. In one market, you can transfer that. You're going to have to calibrate it a little bit and change it a bit. Um, I think the mistake in outsourcing is I don't have any leads and I don't have any customers and I don't have time to do the SDR work. So I'm going to outsource. That's just shoveling your problems off on somebody else. So outsourcing, I think, should be used strategically to either test markets or to use that as a stepping stone to prove that you can move into, say, a new geography or a new vertical. Is this something you'd ever build? Would you ever build an army of STRs that people could hire like via yeah. you that you've trained? No. I, th no. I feel like that's pretty commoditized. I mean, there's people that do it better or worse than others, uh, but that's not, it's not a, to me, that's not a business that's interesting to me. Uh, building systems, building process, yep. helping teams scale. That's a lot more interesting. Yep. Very cool. Okay. So you got folks on this full-time 2015. How many customers are you now working with today? Uh, we work with 35 active customers right now. That's great. And is it typically just a retainer? Yeah, so we have a monthly fee. We have a 12-month commitment to start in most cases. And then after that, people pay about two to three K a month, depending on the and team size. What's a 12-month commitment look like? If someone's listening right now going, I love the Scott guy. He's answering Nathan's questions great. He's giving me things to think about. I want to work with this guy. What's like the minimum for the 12 months usually? What do you mean the minimum? The minimum investment? Yeah, like are, are you saying, okay, 2K per month times so it's 24 about two to three grand a month. Yeah. Got it. And you want the year-long commitment so you can have time to sort of put systems in place, et cetera. Yeah, it's a filter for us to know who's looking for Jack and the Beanstalk versus people who are committed to building out a process. It's like, you know, any any change you want to make, you know, if, you, if you've been like a seed stage company or an A round company, you've really been struggling to get some repeatability. You know, it's it's just like the outsourcing example you just ex explained, right? You can't just like, I'm going to outsource and all my problems are going to be solved. Uh, sometimes we get some really quick wins fast, uh, but to build repeatability and eventually scalability, it does take time. So we want to know that people are looking at this at the long view, as opposed to us being the emergency room and hoping us hoping we're going to get them off of life support. Yep, thirty-five customers, two grand a month. That would put you at a minimum about seventy grand a month right now in revenue. But you're probably over that. I would imagine past the million-dollar run rate. Yeah, we're we're we are we are past that on a future run rate. Yes, that's great. Yeah, last month's revenue times twelve. 
yeah, we're well beyond that. That's We've great. been growing. Uh, last year was actually a really strong year for us, especially <laughs> Q4. Uh, Q1's been already super good. Uh, I think a lot of that is a combination of market function, of course, the external market, but uh, I think we're also getting really good having done this now for five years. Uh, it takes you know, it takes a while to get the flywheel going yourself, getting the right team, the right people, the right process. You know, What's it look company, like though? I mean, where can you give me a sense of growth? Like December of 2019, what was your forward looking run rate then? Uh, forward run rate was just under a million. Got it. Okay, got it. Uh, that was back a year ago. Okay, wait, so what are you at now? We are... Well, we don't disclose specifically. <laughs> you don't have uh, to disclose. No, I'm, yeah. I'm I am curious though. Yeah. So we, we think about, and we teach this to our clients as well. We think about the rule of three and 10. I don't know if you've come across this before. Um, there's a good article on Sequoia Capital that Phil Libin wrote from Evernote. He learned this from Hiroshi Mikatani, the founder of Rakuten. This idea of growing by orders of three and 10 are, are kind of your big jump. So going from say 300K in revenue to a million in revenue, there's a big jump. And when you make that jump, all your systems, all your process, all your people tend to break. Uh, when you get to a million, then the jump to three, you need new systems, new process, new skills, go from 3 million to 10 million. So these are kind of the jumps that we look at and we're kind of on that path ourselves, uh, just like we are teaching our clients to do that. So we're, we're past that million dollars. Our next big jump is to get to three. And we think we'll be able to do that pretty quickly now. This year, you think? Um, I, I think we could if we push really hard, but I don't want to jeopardize taking shortcuts to do that. Yep. Uh, I'm in no rush to do it. I mean, the business is doing well. The margins are good. Uh, we have the right team in place. We have we have the best clients we've ever had. So um, I'm not in a position where, like a lot of SaaS founders, where I have to go to a certain rate in order to close the next round. When you're boot, you bootstrap this, right? I mean, it's a yeah, consulting. Yeah, I've self, self, self funded this from the Yeah, beginning. I mean, this is great. It's a cash flow business for you. You have blend stock that you learn back on. You get to meet great new founders. Are you doing angel investing when you find a founder you like? Uh, we've thought about that. Uh, what I've, what I've looked at is just number one, it's, it's a business in itself. Yep. Uh, number two, it's, it's highly erratic. Uh, even yeah. the best venture <laughs> funds are doing anywhere from 15 to 30% return on investment. Um, which I'm like, I can do better than that on my own, just doing a cash flow business. As we had a so, crypto guy on the call, Scott's secret investment is crypt. He's on, he's long on Bitcoin. <laughs> And, and GameStop. And, uh, GameStop, yeah. exactly. And silver. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, when you look at the, the total returns relative to the, the expertise, like that's not our expertise. Our expertise is teaching people. And I also think there's a misaligned incentives when you're investing as a portfolio because you're sort of like assuming 80 or 90% of your investments are going to fail and you're kind of like okay with that. Whereas if you have every client that's paying you, you're on the hook to help them get results every single month. And so we feel like there's a higher level of accountability when they're paying us because we have to deliver. We can't shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, sorry, your business didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, I hear Tough you. on you, but we still made a ton of money this year. That's right, that's right. Well, hey, congrats on the growth, Scott. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book? Right now, it's Atomic Habits by James Clear. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Patrick Campbell. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the business? Uh, the easy default one is LinkedIn right now. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? At least I get seven during the week, nine on the weekends, plus naps. That's great. Okay. And what's your situation? I think married kids, right? 15 years married and a nine-year-old son, soon to be nine-year-old son, who was, his birthday is on our wedding anniversary. Oh, makes it, makes it efficient. All the celebrations in one shot, right? That's right. All right. And how old are you? I'm 46, be 47 this year. 46. Last question. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? Uh, take experience over dollars. 
Guys, there you have it. Uh, SalesQualia.com launched full-time really back in 2015. It was a side project before then, but it was only doing about 50 grand a month when he went in full-time after leaving Blend and some other B2B SaaS companies where he cut his teeth. Now working with 35 SaaS companies, helping them to manage and grow their pipeline. Each company pays him somewhere between 2 and 3K per month. They've broken a million-dollar run rate, hoping to hit that $3 million run rate here shortly as he looks to scale. But again, great business, bootstrapped, small team, moving quick. Scott, thanks for taking us to the top. I enjoyed it. Thanks, David.